Hi, this is Steven, your host of High Podcasting. I'm Dad. Um, you may notice a few technical glitches. Uh, there were a few parts that I had to re-record at the end of the episode. Um, other than that, um, I hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome to High Podcasting. I'm Dad, a podcast for dads by dads about being a dad. Uh, I'm your host and soon-to-be first-time dad, Steven. Uh, with me this week is one of my closest and oldest friends, Mr. Bradley Garwood. Uh, Brad, we've known each other since fourth grade band? I think it was fourth grade. Yeah. Yes. I want to say that I was wearing a t-shirt that had either a gecko or a hummer on it. Uh, mine was probably one of those big dog shirts. <laughs> I was going to say maybe both, but yes, 100% a big dog shirt. Maybe one of the dogs is a Star Wars character. More than likely, yeah. More than likely, yeah. I probably uh, yeah. still have that shirt, so. Yeah, fourth grade elementary band. We've known each other a long time, long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we have now been in each other's weddings. Correct. And um, you now have two children and a lovely wife. And I have a lovely wife and a child on the way. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I'm assuming you're over the moon excited. Uh, we are. Yeah, very excited. We're both very excited. Um, we planned and executed exactly when we wanted the baby to be born. Um, so my wife could add an extra two months to her summer vacation next year. Excellent. We, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim credit for having both of our kids around the holiday season, where maternity and paternity leave fell right around Christmas. Yeah. Getting to spend the holidays with the kiddos was fantastic. So I want to claim that we planned that. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. It's not really up to you, is it? Really not. So I think on that point, uh, we should probably start with a blanket statement of just uh, our spouses are the best, right? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't know if your wife plans to listen to this. I assume she is following both the um, Twitter page and I believe the Facebook page at this point. I think um, so. So we'll just throw it out there. Spouses are the best. They're super yes. moms. They do it all. Yes. Uh, they make us look like we don't make know what it we're look- doing. Exactly. They make it look so much easier for us. They make our lives so much easier. Um, I would not know my ass from a hole in the ground were it not for Megan. 100%. That being said, podcast for dads. Podcast for dads, yeah. Fuck everybody else, podcast for dads. 100%. Let's go. Yeah. Um, So I guess uh, one of the big things with our pregnancy is that we've decided to not find out the gender of the baby okay. uh, until obviously the baby gets here. Um, and even then, you know, if you want to yeah, pull a sheet over it, just kind of. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to know. Uh, how did you and. Uh, can I say your wife's name? Yeah. Would you like. Would I refer to her as Bird or Christine? Probably Christine. Christine. Because I think I refer to her as Bird simply because. Correct. I've always known her that way. But yeah, uh, how did you and Christine decide on how, uh, if you were going to find out the gender or not? I think we were kind of an unspoken um, uh, piece on that, that we just, we both wanted to know. Uh, I think for me, it was driven by the fact that I wanted a girl first. So Mm -hmm. when we talked about having kids, I just, kind of what I always pictured is like, I just assumed that I was, uh, I actually assumed that I was going to have all girls, um, but that was what I wanted first. Just, you know, between my mom, my sister, my wife, all the strong women in my life, I was like, I, I just kind of want to bring another strong woman into the world. So I wanted to find out as soon as, as I could if that was my reality or if I was going to get a son. So it was just kind of yeah. that, that curiosity that we had that pushed us to finding out early. We actually, 
uh, sought out our own private ultrasound earlier than you would normally get one of the regular ultrasounds to figure out what the, the gender is. So we found out even earlier than early. Yeah, that was uh, our first ultrasound appointment. They were like, hey, do you guys want to know the gender? We're like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We do not want to know. Uh, and they are like, okay, well, if you guys did or if you change your mind, uh, we know it's early, but you guys can just get like blood test and figure it out that way. And I'm like, um, no, we're good. Cause neither, especially because neither one of us is at risk for any like high risk um, issues or anything like that. So we decided to just be like, well, we're just not going to do that. Makes sense. We're both the kind of, uh, my wife and I are both the kind of people that, kind of what the doctor says goes. So, um, But I think it was just 100% our own curiosity of, of wanting to know what the gender was for sure. I am grabbing the um, Google Doc on my phone so that way I can just reference it real quick. All right, so rolling back into it. Um, I believe we were talking about um, finding out gender and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so you are now, you said that you wanted a girl first, um, right. but now you're rocking both kids. Um, yeah, one of the nurses at the hospital when we had our second uh, of a son and a daughter, she was like, oh, you have a, a rich man's family. Is that what, what they are you call talking it? about? Yeah, she goes, that's when you have one of each, because, you know, if you are if you have enough money to have all the things that you want, the one thing you can't get is a boy that's... and a girl. You can't um, pay for that, right? So she's like, you have a rich man's family, and I thought that was an interesting takeaway. So I've never heard that before. I had neither so. before she said that, and now I, I kind of share it to everyone that will listen. Hmm. Uh, I will always listen. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you and Christine... Uh, your daughter is what three now? Almost. Yeah, she turned at the time of this recording. She turned three in October, October um, and yeah, my son will turn one in one. November, like late November. Sick. Um, so if we have a daughter, arranged marriage, perfect. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Megan is listening to a uh, podcast in the living room, so I didn't know if she heard that arranged Excellent. marriage bit. We got. We got like. 18, 20 years to, to arrange that. Yeah, to set to that arrange up. To do it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, like I said, this is a very free form. Um, where do you, uh, I don't know how comfortable you are talking about it. Uh, where is, because your dad helped me out a lot in my, right after high school. Um, mm-hmm. Gave me a place to live for uh, the super cheap. Um and um, was kind of one of the both both like best and worst people I've met at the same time. Uh, oh, that, what a res- great ex- what a great explanation of my dad. Yeah, uh, mad respect for the man. Um, only person I know to punch a man and have him die a week later. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh. How is I got this out if you're not comfortable with it? But um, how is your relationship with your dad? I know it's been tenuous in the past. How is it now? So I would ask, do you mean relative to being a parent myself or just in general? What is my relationship like with my dad? Uh, relative to being a parent. So it's it's different. It's definitely humbling when you have a child to then have a conversation with your, your parents to kind of come to that table as the acknowledgement of like, all right, you know, even though I've always been your kid, I feel like you're seen as more of an adult. Right? You're because seen now, it's like more of an equal. Exactly. Now you're going through the same thing that I experienced. And of course, my uh, my dad is very sensitive to the fact that things were different when he was raising a kid. He's usually the first to admit, like, 
you know, the, the styles of parenting were different and the, the cultural norms were different. Very um, much so. But it's my relationship with my dad is difficult to say the least. And I don't think you're going to have the uh, future guests. I don't know if you're going to have the benefit <laughs> of having known their own fathers like you do mine. Uh-huh. Um, weird. Probably it's not. A, it's so. a weird conversation just because he um, ends up kind of exposing a lot of the, um, the vulnerabilities that he had raising us. And it's weird to see your parent in that state of being, hey, I didn't know the answer. Or I didn't know what I was doing. And you're like, well, you fooled me because you seemed pretty confident when I was five or six years old. Right. Uh, and I think, like I said, I have a lot of respect for him. And it's hum- it's a humbling experience, like you said, to like hear that from your dad. Like I told um, the person who I like, my sister's dad, who I look, as, look at as like my dad because I don't know my own. When we told him that we were having a baby, like immediately all this stuff came out. He was like, oh, I had no idea what I was doing when I was raising you guys. Like it's such a different experience. And I'm just like shit man i like like in that moment you were doing a great job you were killing it like but now i'm like man shit uh it's it is both one of the things that i'm looking forward to the most as it like in my life uh and also one of the things that i am the most terrified of uh in my life absolutely and i think for my own dad he was on his third kid well before i had I was at the age where I had my first. So to look back and think like, God damn, dude, you were doing this times three yeah. five years earlier than me. Like, all right. So yeah. res- mad respect for the hustle of like coming home from work, taking off the work clothes and, and putting on the dad hat. Cause I know that's, yes. that's a slog sometimes. So, um, yeah, mad respect for the work ethic on that one for sure. Right. Also, uh, I really only ever knew your dad. I knew your mom more as we were growing up, but then I knew your dad as an adult. Um, yeah. And he was very much, I remember the nickname for your dad was just dad man. That was it. Yep. Um, and it was just, he was more of a approachable friend than he was like a father figure, I guess. Um, I guess he was like a uh, late stage father figure for me. But um, yeah, it was a weird experience because he was just, I think he just wanted to have friends. <laughs> no, you, you touched on a good point. Like he, he definitely, he definitely thought that I was very, very mature for my age, and that that put us in more of a friendship relationship earlier on. Probably yeah. when I was a late teenager, I think he he did want to see us in our relationship more so as friends than right. Hey, I'm your parent, you know. And it was uh, from a very early age. There was always the expectation my dad gave to me of you can tell me anything, you can talk to me about anything, I can be approachable. Um, and that, I think, is something I kind of took away from my dad of just always being receptive. Uh, right. Is that something that you are carrying? Obviously, your daughter's only three. She doesn't exactly have life problems yet. Uh, but is that something that you expect to carry on with your um, children going forward, like in their life growing up? So I counterbalance it. I can't give you a firm answer on yes or no because I sought out the advice of some people that I trusted when I started you know, my own journey as a dad, the same way yep. you're doing for years, right? Kind of building your right. team. And um, someone I really trusted kind of gave me the advice that you're not their friend, you're their parent. Right. And that's different. Um, so I'm trying to strike my own balance of where do I draw the line at? Well, I'm not your friend, right? And there's right. a line that I have to draw in the sand of I'm not your friend. Um, right. But then there's also being friendly. And I think those two things are often confused. Um, so I'm always going to try to be friendly. 
I can't always promise that I can be their friend. Exactly. Um, and I think that's the relationship that I need to have is uh, maybe something we could have in the future when they're adults. Right. So I think the goal for, like, I don't know if it's, like, I can't speak for every soon-to-be father or father, but I think that the approach right now, the goal that we're looking for is to find somewhere between, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s dad as, like, the low point and, like, John Goodman and Roseanne as the high point. Man, you talk about a, a high bar to clear. <laughs> Roseanne yeah. dad, like... Yeah, yeah. That's a... <clears throat> yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, Bob from Bob's Burgers. Yeah, that's another right. good one. Um, kind of that humble approachableness. Uh, yeah, a professor from uh, Futurama. Somewhere exactly. <laughs> See, we got a good stable of, of dad mentors, I think, just from TV alone. And I think that's very in vogue right now, is to be the kind of dad who's approachable and emotionally available, and I think above all, you know, vulnerable. I do, do think that's one of the things that I, I kind of zig where my dad would have zagged, which is being vulnerable with my kids earlier on. Your that was very, very vulnerable. Stoic. Well, yeah, your dad was very stoic for a long time, and then like... Yeah, very... 100%. Don't. Growing yeah. <laughs> up, very, very stoic. I barely saw him, very rarely saw him emote. Um, and I, I just think in my own head of things that I never saw my dad do growing up. Um, I even made a list one time and I wrote down, like, I, I never saw the man eat a popsicle. Kind of a weird thing, but, like, <laughs> really? I was, like, making a list of things that I've never seen my dad yeah. do. And I got to the food part and I'm like, you know what? I've never seen that man eat, like, a popsicle or, like, an Any ice cream phallically cone. shaped object. <laughs> wasn't even the phallic thing, like an ice cream cone. i never seen that man eat an ice cream cone. Um, so I think he just had that quiet quiet work hard mentality and then it wasn't until later as adults he was super vulnerable with me and I, I try to do that a little bit differently just to show my kids I'm, I'm vulnerable I'm, I'm able to make mistakes and admit to them um, so that they see that even at a very young age I think that's a huge part of like being a dad now that wasn't really a dad like a dad thing in like earlier generations and then like even probably up to our parents was like being okay with making mistakes mm-hmm. like a lot of the times parents were very much like oh i have to be on it all the time my kid cannot see me fail but i'm like if i saw my parents fail it'd be i wouldn't be i wouldn't have been nearly as like terrified of everything in life as an adult nearly yeah yeah nearly still terrified <laughs> yeah. not nearly as but it's hard because you want to be that like superhero for your your kids i mean my daughter's three and she's already said some things to me about how much she kind of loves me in the sense of like she looks up to me. I can right. kind of see that building already, and you don't you don't want to fail in front of your kids, and it's not yeah, from no, the not fear of being vulnerable in front of them. It's uh you just want to be perfect for them, and that's a weird kind of headspace to be in for sure. Yeah, uh, I had the my child's not even here yet, and I had the startling realization that I'm like, man, there's one day where like my kid's gonna need me to do something, and I'm not gonna be able to do it, and I'm like, oh shit, that's a scary thought like i don't want that thought i'm like oh man i gotta do everything i can to make sure that this kid has everything just don't ask me for stuff kid <laughs> i saw that a lot with my dad super handy um, yeah. he's just one of those guys that like he, he has a bunch of tools and he fixes a bunch of stuff so i don't i can't ever remember a moment where something broke in our house or something needed to be hung up or something needed to be replaced and he wasn't like ah let me go in my shed and get the right tool and just and just do it and i'm I, looking back i admire the hell out of that because i'm like looking at my sink that won't drain like all right, i gotta get on youtube i gotta figure out i gotta call plumber like i gotta do all these things my dad was the type of like oh it's just the the trap underneath just needs to be rotated and you know this this and that and okay we had a like i am like your dad in that respect like i'm 
if something is broken, I do my best to try and fix it. We had a plumbing problem this weekend. Like, our pipe underneath of the sink disconnected in the kitchen. So it was just leaking water everywhere. And I was just like, all right, cool. So I'm just going to rescrew that, go and get some Drano and clean the pipes. That's it. Um, but it was very much like one of those moments. Like, in that moment, it was like, oh, fuck. Like, I hate owning a house because this is, like, the worst every problem sure. you have to fix and now i'm like you know what like owning a house is kind of like raising a kid like every problem you have to fix that's you're the like to uh i don't remember which band it is but to quote a um uh, you gotta be mr fix it <laughs> i don't know that one i think it's it might be like motley crew or it might be twisted sister Mr. Fixit is. I'm just now. I'm getting Google results for local handyman. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Fixit song. What do we got? What do we got? Mr. Fixit song is. I got nothing. It is a song. It is no, a you're song. right. It, yeah, you're right. Hair metal, maybe. We're going yeah, on a tangent here. Bring me back. Bring me back. Uh, Mr. Fixit. Firehouse? Never heard of it. Uh, somebody will know. So, all right. If you're out in the audience, yeah, and you DM the know, Twitter account, yeah, and you know who yeah. sung the song, uh, Mister Fix It. For sure. Um, yes, for, yeah. Please put that in the um, DM the Twitter account, and I will Hi. not. I will thank you, but that's it. Um. Not at yeah. the point yet where you're sending people t-shirts? Absolutely not. I don't even have... To, I have concepts of t-shirts made, but I don't even have t-shirts. Just send them your own t-shirts that you don't want to wear anymore. <laughs> yeah, like the ones that are slightly too small or have a hole in them. The like, think... perpetual deodorant mark on the underarm. <laughs> yeah, I wore one of those to work today, actually. <laughs> exactly. If you are a medium, make sure you follow the Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, and you might get a t-shirt. Uh, I know that I have a Texas Longhorn shirt that has several holes in it. It's coming your way. <laughs> Um, so I guess we, uh, we can hit a couple of questions. Bring it um, on. yeah, so, uh, I sent you a list. Are there any of those that you think you could answer? Well, like, so let's go uh, right off the top. It's, uh, what were the, some of, some of the biggest changes in your life that you didn't expect, uh, when you became a father? It's a great question. So both kids that we had were born via c-section and kind of what we pointed to earlier full disclosure our our respective wives are our heroes they're angels they're amazing literally yes Uh, my wife handled the surgery as best you could handle it given the circumstances and i remember she was still waking up from the anesthesia and they hand me this baby right my my daughter and i'm just like listen to your mom because i have no clue what i'm doing here (laughs) Uh, and I just remember kind of holding her and thinking, like, well, it's my job to keep you safe until your mom wakes up because she'll know what to do. And I thought from that moment that they put a baby in your arms, you're supposed to have this instant connection, right? I've kind of always taught that some caveman piece of your brain, uh, you know, it's the, supposed the to switch, activate. It's supposed to activate, and you're supposed yeah. to be like, okay, I get it now. Every the sum of all these parts like a is now greater, and I get it. Um, and it it makes me feel terrible to say I didn't. And in fact, it probably took me. Um, close to a year, maybe even a year and a half, to kind of feel like I was having that 
connection. unspoken connection, the one that you're supposed to have in the movies and TV shows. So when you talked about, you know, what did, what did I not expect or what did I did expect that was different, um, I thought I was going to have that connection instantly. And it, mm-hmm. dang near a year before it got there. And now it's great. We have a, a wonderful connection. So it's something I always try and kind of have a conversation with new dads about is to say it's okay if you don't quite feel it right away. Right. Uh, was that different with your son when he was born? So no. I want to say the difference is it's it's been a faster process, and that's right. only because I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, we had our, our son, and I was like, all right, I still don't feel this instant connection right away because it's more about like making sure that you stay fed and changed and warm and dry. Uh, and I I know because of the first one, we're going to get there. And I think just having right. that peace of mind has made me feel better. It's making our connection stronger, faster. Got it. Okay. That makes a surprising amount of sense. That's one of the things that I'm like struggling with the most anticipating is like, uh, one, I'm not a super personable person. Uh, so um, connecting with a child, it's like, man, how, uh, how much game time can I get in while this kid is sleeping on my chest? <laughs> 100%. No, I would be lying if I didn't have that, like, baby Bjorn chest thing yeah, rigged to hook up while I'm, like, sitting there on the, hitting the sticks, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Trying to get it's in a little late-night matches of NHL. 100%. And I think a lot of people freak out and they have that feeling of, like, I'm not good with kids, so I'm not going to be good with my kid. Put it to bed. It's, it's not a thing. Like, once right. it, it's in your arms that part of your caveman brain will click in instantly and you'll be like, okay, this isn't just a kid that I have to talk to. This is my kid and I can do it the way I want to. Um, So dismiss that fear is what I always tell people. If you're worried, like, I'm not good with kids, so I'm not going to be good with my kid, that's not a thing. You'll be fine. You'll be fine Um, with your kid. Digging a little deeper, you'll be like, okay, I I don't think you need to feel bad if you don't have that amazing connection right away. That That immediate emotional connection. Exactly, that, like, life-changing, angels are singing kind of a thing. Was I super happy? Yeah, I cried my eyes out. I had a little kid for the first time, but, um, you know, you get to the hospital, it's kind of like, you get home from the hospital, and you're kind of like, now what? Well, shit, now what? Yeah. Um, Was, so we, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my wife and I, homeowners, uh, our biggest, like, goal before the baby gets here is obviously getting the nursery ready Mm -hmm. beforehand. Um, and we've been reading a lot, like, it's like, hey, don't wait until the third trimester to start doing everything, and I'm very much just like, I've procrastinated on everything in my entire life, you're not gonna stop me now. Right. Um, so, but, like, the amount of, like, shit that goes into, like, having a kid, like, we have, like, people have been giving us stuff, like, oh, well, this is gonna rock your baby, so you don't have to, and I'm like, but, like, I wanna fucking rock my baby. (laughs) (laughs) Like, stop giving me shit I'm not going to need, but also, like, I understand the point of all this stuff. Um, my biggest fear is that we are now at 18 weeks, um, as of yesterday, and no one has given us diapers yet, and I'm so scared about it. Okay, so, if we're going to have the conversation about stuff, I'm all about it, because, first of all, I thought you were going to say, this this is going to rock your baby, like, this is going to blow your baby's fucking mind. Like, it's just going to rock your baby, like, they're just going to lose their (laughs) shit. And I was like, all right, I I want whatever you're talking about, because that sounds cool. I want my my baby to get rocked, but, kind of, you know, not to turn this into an advice column, but I definitely agree with you. I mean, it is an advice show for Nats. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Everything that we've done as a human being species we have done 
pretty well up to this point because we keep making babies yeah. and perpetuating ourselves as human beings. Yeah. Anything that you buy is just there to make your life easier in some way. Yeah. Right? Do you need anything? Absolutely not. Does it no. make your life easier in some ways? 100% yes. 100% yes. I always use a classic example of that stupid little uh, baby thermometer that you put in the, the bathtub. Oh, yeah. So you make sure the water's not too hot? Exactly. As if you can't put your fingers in the water <laughs> yeah, and go, exactly. wow, this is too hot. Yeah. But when you're at 2 a.m. and the only thing that will make your baby stop crying is a nice warm bath yeah. and you're sleep deprived and you're hungry and the baby's hungry and you're tired and the baby's tired, you might think, you know what? I could see how it would be easy to put my baby down in a scalding hot bath. This makes my life easier. Yeah, um, that does make a lot of sense. Um, that's actually why just recently my wife was like, hey, I'm not, like, her Her favorite uh, chore in the house is vacuuming. She's like, hey, like, I already know that, like, postpartum, I'm not going to want to fucking vacuum. So she bought a Roomba the other day. Oh, um, yeah. We've just been, like, rock. That thing just goes every day, fucking midnight, just goes around the house. And I'm just like, all right, cool. Yeah, it gets stuck, stuck under the couch sometimes. Yeah, it gets stuck behind, the, in between the bath, to the toilet and the bathtub. But, yep. um, he's all right. And, uh... Yeah, he makes our life easier. So, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So I, I definitely don't fault parents who kind of get – because it is a trap. It is a it is a capitalism trap uh -huh. of the baby industrial complex to sell you <laughs> the things baby you don't industrial need. Complex. That's exactly what it is. You go to one of those bye-bye baby stores or the yeah. – you know, it's, it's loaded full of stuff that might shave 60 seconds off of your day. But yeah. for a parent – that might be the 60 second time. difference between going fucking crazy yeah. in the middle of the night. Um, but the problem there is you only will know what works for your baby once your baby's here. Yeah. So I think a lot of people also go a little nutty trying to figure out what's going to be the right configuration for their kiddo only to find out, yeah, your baby hates that. Like you bought this great toy, baby hates that. Baby or they only like one that. particular part of that toy. Yeah. So uh, you've mentioned it twice now, uh, like late night stuff. Yeah. Um, how did you and Christine handle, like, or how do you handle now with new baby? Um, how do you guys handle, or did you handle late night feedings? So we made a decision, and I say we, but it was primarily Christine, you know, mm -hmm. um, who faced some, let's call them challenges, with producing mm -hmm. enough milk. Mm -hmm. So we made an early decision to switch over to formula, and we are very much of the mindset that fed is best. Right. Um, so I know there's a lot of feelings around breast milk and formula. Doesn't matter as long as your baby's getting fed. That's what matters. A hundred percent. And I could I could probably talk to you all day about the differences between the two, but we decided to switch over to formula. But one of the reasons we decided to switch, one of the factors, not the only, but one of them, was definitely because that meant I could wake up with the kiddos in the middle of the night, make some formula, and feed them without having to interrupt my wife's sleep. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful for us. Is it right for everyone? Absolutely not, but it was helpful for us. So the question about how do we tackle that was finding a solution that let us both both into the game, right? Right. Um, and there were some times where we would divide up the week and we'd say, this is your night. So anytime the baby wakes up in the night for any You're reason, whether it's it. this is your day, other times it was back and forth on turns, other times it was, you know, I'm working late, so you have to. I come mm. home and I'll swap you out kind of a thing. So I think you can get into some dangerous territory trying to trade chores. You know, I'll feed the baby yes. tonight if you do this tomorrow. 
um, because you really have to approach it just like a good relationship as it's us versus the child. Yes. So there is no trading chores. There is no keeping track. It is there is a task that needs to get done. The person right. who is most capable of doing that task needs to be needs the one tackling it. it. Yeah. Uh, Megan and I have talked about – she wants to um, – like I think – I don't want to speak for all moms and please don't come at me for this. Um, but not you. Like everyone who listens to the podcast, don't come at me for this because I just won't respond. Um, we have talked about – I think mo- like most moms, she wants to try breastfeeding at first. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't work, transition to formula. Uh, we've talked about her pumping and then like and during late night feedings, I will get up to feed the baby. But during that time, she will attempt to pump if she like obviously like raising a child all day while I'm at work um, for the first five months of the child's life. Um, right. I get six weeks off, but like that's jack shit for absolutely when it comes to paternity leave. Fix it, America. Um. But, yeah, that's one of the things we want to try and do is, like, well, if I personally think that um, nine times out of ten, I will just get up, allow her to sleep. But she is very much like, well, if you're up, I want to be up. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. You can try that. But I would much rather you sleep. So we want to try, like, her pump me, feed the baby while during late night feedings. Um, So that's where we're at with that. And we've also... Uh, read several baby books, yeah. Um, which are some of them are nightmares. Yeah. Some of them are right. terrible. Um, but we've recently read the uh, raising BB one. That's uh, like it takes like the French approach to raising right. children. Um, which I think that is a lot of what we're going to try and do when it comes to raising the child. Uh, it's like um, if the baby's crying, wait a couple of minutes. Hmm. Baby's still crying. Go see what it needs. Uh, make sure right. there's not like a supernatural demon in there burning your house down or something. Correct. Correct. You don't want to set your kids down a path of what twelve seasons of demon 15, hunting. That's exhausting. Fifteen. 15. We don't have time for that, right? No. We nobody has time college, for that. Right. We got high school. We got to get through all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think everyone wants to be a cry it out parent until it's time to cry it out. And yeah. I, I don't say that as a criticism of you, but just generally, like, that's tough. Yeah, it's hard to That's hear tough. any baby cry, um, let alone your own. 100%. But you kind of get used to it. That was something that I learned pretty quickly. Um, you kind of get numb to it. At least I did. It was like, kind of get cry in my face all night. It's not yeah. really going to affect. Yeah, I've heard people cry my entire life. You're not the first, you won't be the last. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, so, oh shit, drop my phone. Um, so, uh, this, uh, I think this is, it's, uh, not as serious as a question, but it is still an important question. What is the thing that you enjoy the most about being a father? So this might come across as being kind of a cheesy, if you've heard this before answer, but it's honestly the little things. You're the first episode, so probably not. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I can set the tone here. I'll be the first to say it. It's been the little things so far, specifically being able to share the things that are important to me. And I know how vain that makes me sound to say I can make a little kid in my own image, but gosh darn if it isn't adorable to see, um, you know, my daughter pick out from her clothing drawer. She wants to wear her Ohio State shirt because that's her dad's shirt, right? And that just breaks my heart in a really good way for her to say, I want to wear my dad's shirt today. So um, the other day she was sick. Right, we got to spend uh, like three hours on the couch cuddling, watching Steve Irwin videos because nice. she's super into snakes right now. 
Um, so you, they talk about, you know, cherish the, the little moments and time slips away. I get that because there are little moments that you'll be able to steal that you'll kind of remember more than some of the bigger ones that maybe you should, yeah. because I'm going to remember for a long time, just cuddling up on the couch and watching, um, you know, the top, top 10 deadliest snakes in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because of what that meant for me. So, so that was a really sweet moment. There, that's that's really that's very sweet. Uh, there's a series on Netflix uh, called uh, the seven. It's like seventy two most dangerous animals. Yes, uh, and I love that series. Uh, there's 100%. one for I think it's for Latin America and Asia are the only two that are out. But I would Latin love America more has the Fertilant snake, one of my favorite snakes of all time. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm here a big for it. Uh, I'm a big uh, gaboon viper guy. Oh hell so, yeah! yeah. <laughs> Vipers for life. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I wish I had a better answer to say, you know, oh, the, the the best thing about being a father is, you know, oh, the newborn baby smell in the morning or something like that. That's just lotion, by the way. They don't really have a smell. That's just the product you put in their head. Way to um, break that illusion, but all right. Yeah, you're welcome. So <laughs> I, it's it's honestly just the little things. I hate how corny and can't of an answer that sounds, but it's a little no, things. No, it's, it's, it's a very genuine answer, um, and I think it's it's important very much so to remember these small parts like i my wedding which we did our wedding and then we just did a reception a couple months ago uh because we had our wedding during covid um but the parts that i remember of it are these small like in jokes that we built into our vows or these small things that we did like megan giving me finger guns at the altar because that's what she did on our first date like it was those small things that i remember as opposed to like i couldn't tell you what any of the like i couldn't tell you what my sister's speech was or megan's maid of honor speech was no can't remember any of it but i remember her giving me finger guns and us doing a handshake and that getting photographed that's like the two biggest things i remember yep 100 percent. same yeah. way either so little i remember about some of the important days that it's yeah, kind exactly. of embarrassing uh even well not even just that but like my life in general the small parts that i remember like i remember when we were living together, coming home from uh, my job at the gas station to eat duck and watch kung fu movies while drinking wine, I distinctly remember that memory. Um, yeah. At like six o'clock in the morning, yeah. You're gonna have the same exact things with your kid. Just little things they say, um, little things that they do that kind of stick with you. That almost become like kind of a little meme within your house, where your kid will say something stupid and that just gets repeated ad nauseum in your house because of how hilarious <laughs> it is. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Uh, kids say dumb shit. I, I'm here to tell you, man. <laughs> That's tell you. what they do. Um, okay, so moving on. Uh, what traditions did your parents pass on to you that you will pass on to your children? So I guess are there like are there like any family traditions that you uh, got from your family that you are still doing in your house to share with your children? So this one is probably, to answer your question, I can't think of anything significant in the sense of, you know, I grew up in a secular household, so if right. you want to call that a tradition, it's kind of how we're raising our kids as well, is to be really free-thinking and really, you know, into and, their own feelings and stuff, yeah, but just, that's uh, actually... Do being the house, household drink, yeah, I get it. Um, I will say we do raise our kids Orthodox Midwest, so uh, in this house we put ranch dressing on our pizza, right? You're and we say, oh, disgusting, but all right. Uh, <laughs> So Orthodox Midwest is trying to have those Midwest values, if you want to call them, because we're out on the East Coast right now. Yeah, uh, uh, hell is real. Exactly. Yeah. The difference 
the, what I wanted to zoom in on that question specifically is that's where my wife and I have butted the biggest heads on family yeah. traditions is because you really have two families coming together to collaborate on a, on a baby. Um, so bringing together what their opinions of Santa are um, has definitely been the biggest sets of conflict to say, like, well, how are we going to resolve how your family did Santa and how my family did Santa to spit out something that our kids are going to love and that both adults are going to agree on? How uh, have, you, uh, have you guys decided on how you want to approach Santa? So, uh, full disclosure, I don't. I, I want to treat Santa as the very secular definition that he's not really real, that he is right. the embodiment of a spirit of a holiday season. Um, okay. Santa, Santa isn't all of us, right? He's the gifts that we give and the, the time we spend together. Uh, my wife's approach is a little bit more based on her family's tradition, which is Santa climbs down the chimney and gives you a bunch of awesome presents. Santa Claus and, is a home wrecker and a peeping Tom. So. 100%. <laughs> but he is... He's so much fun on Christmas that, you know, she has so many good memories of spending time with her family, getting excited for presents and getting excited that she wants to pass that along to our kids. And it wasn't until we sat down and she was able to articulate that to me that I was able to say, you know, I can take some of my own pride out of that. I can make some compromises to figure out a solution for the both of us. That's good. Uh, I think it's, I think outside of like, not only just in raising kids, but like in a marriage, compromise is your biggest ally. For sure. Yeah. And I, a lot of people think compromise is one person just giving up. No, it's, it's not. It's both it's... people conceding a little bit of ground to, to meet them. Exactly. Middle. Yes, exactly. It's uh, it's a World War I uh, Christmas holiday soccer game. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, very well put. Yeah. I think my concession was, you know what, if Santa's going to come down the uh, chimney... We don't leave cookies out for Santa. Santa likes something single malt, preferably 12 years. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. You know, uh, I, I can find ways to make it work. A nice log of woolen. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Neat, yeah, like a nice neat glass of something. I think that's what Santa enjoys in our house. Yeah. Uh, I think that's my kind of Santa. Um, so I will say, too, um, I was revisiting some memories talking to my family the other day. I mean, talking about traditions bringing in. Um, I realized how fucked up it is that growing up in my household, my parents happened to call the liquid dish detergent dishwasher jizz. <laughs> and I grew up from a very young age thinking that was a normal thing to call it. Uh, and it wasn't uh, until I, I kind of revisited that I'm like, you know, that's a pretty inappropriate and pretty awful thing to teach your kids. But you know, damn if it doesn't look like a big cup shot right into your dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, my thing with that is that I have uh, lived 31 years of my life without ever hearing the term dishwasher jizz. Um, so well, thanks for that. You're welcome for the title of your first podcast. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, dishwasher jizz, uh, episode one. Got it. Yeah, cool. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah, somebody has to be. Um, yeah, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think so. Megan was raised uh, more Christian than I was. So Santa was a big deal in her house. Yeah. Uh, But I, much like you, could give a fuck less. Right. Um, uh, I think that we have compromised to the point. I've conceded a lot, like, um, uh, not from, like, a, I've conceded as in, like, losing. I've conceded as in, like, it's important to my wife that our child understands like Christmas and the way she described it to me was like well the idea of Santa I think for the first three years we've agreed to be like oh Santa brought you this present 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after those first couple years, once our kid starts to have, like, some independent thoughts between, like, three and five, we're like, okay, well, hey, Santa's not real, but if you want, you can pretend that he's real still. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's the approach that we're going to take. Um, Megan, if you listen to this and we've decided something different, just let me know. <laughs> Excellent. I'll throw out one. Uh, I'll throw a shout out to my sister-in-law who um, introduced me to the idea when it comes to Christmas presents. It's something you, what is it? It's something you want, something you need, something mm-hmm. you wear, something you read. That I don't know if is, you've heard of that one before. Yeah, that's what Megan does for Christmas. Okay, um, so. That's how uh, we got together in May of 20, um, it's now 20, almost the end of 2022. Um, we've had two Christmas together at this point, and that's how we've approached Christmas is like something you want, need, read, wear. Excellent. Um, but she's, so my sister-in-law, she, in, she's in education, so it must be a teacher thing. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. My wife is a um, high school biology teacher, which just makes her more of a hero than already being one of the strongest 100%. women I know. Hundred uh, percent. Uh, so, moving down the list, uh, what was one of the hardest moments you've had being a father, and why was it hard? Yeah, I can answer this one very easily because when we had our daughter, originally a healthy pregnancy throughout the time, um, as in terms of complications, minor, right? Just little bumps along the road, but nothing that was a huge concern. And when she was born, we did have a C-section. We tried for a natural birth. I say we. My wife did 110% of the work. Um, we tried for a natural birth, but it just didn't quite work out because our daughter ended up being a little too big. She's a little she's a little potato. And uh, had a unscheduled last-minute C-section, right? So we go to have our son, and we're thinking, well, we're probably just going to schedule the C-section again because it's likely he would need it anyway. This time we can play on our own rules. But little guy decided to show up premature. Um, he was born about a yeah. month earlier than anticipated. Yeah. Uh, very early, very early, in fact. So the the thing that was the hardest for myself, I can probably speak for my wife when I say, um, is just dealing with a son who was born premature. He was deemed a preemie, so he did have to stay in the neonatal intensive care unit or the NICU. Um, which meant for those first couple weeks, first four weeks, we had to, I don't want to use the term surrender our baby, but he had to stay at the hospital when we had to yeah. go home. And that was really difficult um, as a parent, just kind of kissing your little kid on the on the forehead who's all hooked up to these tubes and IVs and all sorts of stuff. I remember um, the pictures of that. It was hard to look at, so I can only imagine how it was, what it was like to experience that as the, an actual father. So zooming out from that and kind of looking at it from a... Um, a year away perspective, right? That's always going to look a lot worse than it is. Yeah. So you can think of any kid who's going to go into the NICU. It's, there's kind of a level of priority. Priority number one is breathing, right? right? That's their first goal is to make sure the kid can breathe successfully and on their own independently. And I was so fortunate that when our son was born, he was born able to breathe without any assistance. So that was, we already kind of skipped over to step two, which gave us a huge sigh of relief because you hear about babies in the NICU. Some of them are experiencing that, right? They're on ventilators or respirators or things that are helping them breathe. So we were fortunate enough to, to skip that step. And my heart goes out to the parents that, that weren't quite there yet. Right. Um, but then the next step was eating, right? So once they are done breathing, they got to be able to eat by themselves. And that's where you see the tube going into their nose and into yeah. their stomach. With the feeding They're tube forced, and everything like that, yeah. 100%. But it looks a lot worse than it is. It's really just a plastic tube that goes into their stomach to make sure yeah. they eat. Um, and in some ways, it actually kind of sounds nice to not have to worry about where your food's coming from. Yeah, I would sometimes love to not have to chew food. 
Hundred percent. And then all the other cords and stuff are just you know pulse oximeters to make sure his blood oxygen saturation is fine, and monitors to let the nurses know if he rolls over the wrong way. So it ends up looking really intense and really scary. And then once you sit down with the nurses and they explain, this is what this cord does, and this is what this cord does, and this is what this tube does, um, it actually puts a pretty good sense of relief into your into the pit of your stomach. So. Dealing with him was difficult, and then kind of, like I said, zooming out a little bit more, having stepped away from now him being in the NICU, um, just kind of keeping the family together. We talk about dads. We talk about the stresses that it puts on dads, right? Um, I was mom and dad for a couple weeks while my wife was recovering from her surgery, and I totally yeah. don't say that to be like, well, you should you should think I'm a superhero because yeah, I had exactly. to do yeah. jobs. Like, no, but, um, you know. You're a Robin at best. At best. At best. A Grayson maybe. Um you know, that could be a, a situation you as the dad are potentially thrust into to say, you know, you're running back and forth between the hospital. You're taking care of the house because mm-hmm. we can't neglect that, right? right. Someone's still got to pay the bills, um, but also we're going back to the hospital. We're checking in on the kid. We're making sure wife's okay, you know, or partner, whoever you have. Um, and just kind of putting all those things together can be something unexpected. Yeah. So, um, what I pull from that is it looks worse than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and huge shout out to uh, NICU nurses. For sure. What I can t- say is go to Target, have about 150 bucks in your pocket, buy a nice basket, fill it full of G2 pilot pens, um, hand sanitizer, um, some chocolate. Got to put a lot of chocolate in there and other gifts. Give it to your NICU nurses for sure. Yeah, uh, G2 pilot pens are also uh, my favorite pen. The are, they ofi- are they official pen of this podcast? They are the well. Um, I don't know that I can legally say that, but yeah, <laughs> they are the official pen of my house. Okay, G two, if you're listening, send send my boy some swag. Yeah, G two pilots, uh, send me some shit. Uh, yeah. Sponsor this podcast. Um, Definitely, let's... the hardest moment was was fighting through the marathon that is having a, cu- a kid in the NICU for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of. Um son uh megan has knitted him a blanket uh that was supposed to be sent when he was born uh but it is sitting in one of the um knitting knitting baskets in our house we just need to send it excellent thank you so i'll probably wait until you guys get to um your new place yeah Yeah. i'll get wait until you get to your new place and just hand deliver it we'll have you guys up for sure you guys can uh can soak up some baby time for sure yeah uh that will be very close to when we I think we'll be three or four months out from uh, Baby Jones being there. Okay. Uh, so when it comes to raising a child, what's the best advice that you have received? So this was forever ago. Um, I was 2013, 14 maybe. So, you know, good ten, almost 10 years ago. I sat in an office with... Um, yeah, that was a, like... Wasn't that when you and... Christine were got married that year, right? In thirteen, or was that twelve? It was twelve. So yeah. newly married, I'm living out in Germany where I was stationed at the time, and I sat in an office with three other people. Um, two of them were already parents of some pretty older kids, and one of them was about to be a parent. So we were having a conversation one day about you know just parenting stuff like that we were talking about. And um, the older lady, she had a teenage daughter, and she stops and she takes off her glasses real dramatically and says, "Kids hear everything." And there's kind of that, that silence in the room, and she goes, make sure you understand what I'm saying. They hear everything. 
everything that you tell them that you think they will forget about, they will remember, right? Every criticism of something that you give, not only to them or yourself, but to other people, they will remember everything. And that stuck with me, uh, planted somewhere deep for years and years and years. And I'm starting to see that now as my own daughter is kind of building her language skills and seeing how I interact with other people and seeing the way I interact with other things and saying like, oh, well, dad hates that. So I need to hate that, which yeah. isn't always the greatest thing to give off, you know? Dad hates Goldstar, but loves Skyline. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So it's good for making your kids hate the same sports teams that you hate, but it's maybe yeah, not so great for, for learning how to interact with other adults. Uh, this podcast is an official supporter of the Cincinnati Bengals. Hell yeah. Who day, baby? All day. So, um, with that being said, uh, would you say that it's more important that your kids hear everything or that your kids remember everything? Hmm. That's a great question. So the difference between hearing everything is in hearing everything you say. Or break, just, break me down. Break me down what that question means. So I would say that um, obviously your kids hear everything because mm-hmm. they're unless you're unfortunately if your child is if you see if this is an unfortunate problem uh, if your child was deaf my brother was partially deaf um, mm-hmm. that will lead me on to a question momentarily um, remembering everything so obviously she's not going to remember everything you tell her to do she's not going to remember you to tell her like hey turn off Paw Patrol and pick up your toys or hey don't put your fingers in your brother's ear or whatever right. um but like does do you think that she remembers more of the negative or positive things that you say so uh, we touched on earlier uh, mm-hmm. that's a conscious effort that i make as a dad uh, i've really positive. tried to be self-aware and there's a specific thing that I do when uh, my daughter's maybe acting up, but I also try to do it when she's doing something good, which is just to kind of have a timeout and say, hey, can we talk? Let's just sit down. You sit down. I sit down. And we say, let's talk. And it does end up skewing a lot of times as negative because I think a lot of times it's easier to say, let's correct bad behavior mm-hmm. and not always reward good behavior. So I do make the conscious effort to say, hey, you did really good on the potty today. Let's talk. Right. Hey, I want to tell you you did a great job. It probably ends up being like a 70-30 split. Yeah. So by that definition, she probably is going to remember more of the criticism than the positives. Right. But it's you're not going to do anything positive unless you make a conscious effort to do it. Right. That makes yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like I think so. One of the things that I pride myself on, and I believe Megan also prides herself on about our relationship as a couple, is that we haven't like had an argument. We're over two years into our relationship. We haven't had an argument. Like, we've had serious discussions. We've had, like, Mm -hmm. disagreements. But, like, our big thing, if we, like, feel that we're reaching to the point where we're going to have an argument, we're very much like, hey, is it okay for you to receive feedback right now? Which I think is very similar to how you approach things with your daughter, which I think is great. I think that's an awesome way to approach it. I don't see any reason you can't uh, approach the relationship you have with your kids in the same way. There are going to be times where they are receptive to feedback and times where they're not. Um, If I say, you know, we have to stop watching this movie that you're really interested in and they throw a fit, it's not the greatest time for feedback. Right. Uh, There are times when they're eventually going to calm down and stop crying, and that's when you can say, hey, we need to talk about your reaction to this and and what just happened and, and why it's maybe not good. Right? It's very much how I assume Bird approaches, or Christine, sorry, uh, mm-hmm. approaches things 
with you and playing video games. Like, hey, Brad, you need to turn the video game off right now. And when you throw a fit, not the best time to approach you for feedback. Exactly, exactly. You know, I sometimes I just got to watch Paw Patrol. Yeah, sometimes you got to turn off Metal Gear Solid and watch Paw Patrol. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Uh, when you and Christine were in town for the wedding... Uh, I know that something you guys were struggling with was making sure that your daughter was using verbal communication because you had started with uh, sign language. Yeah. Um, how did you guys transition from – how did you guys make that transition from, like, sign language to verbal communication? Sign language was – and I did read a couple parenting books before having a kid too. And I, I think they talked about this, but I didn't I didn't really internalize it. Something a lot more daycares and early education centers are using because it's good for kids because they can't talk yet. So they can't express themselves with their hands. Um, I thought that was great. When my, my daughter came home for the first time and she was signing things before she could talk, I thought what a great kind of way to bridge bridge that, that gap. Communication gap, yeah. Communication. Um, well, how we handled it transitioning to something a little bit more verbal was some tough love of saying, hey, like, I do need you to use your words to communicate what you want. And until you do, you're not getting what you want. Like, I understand you're able okay. to sign to me that you want to drink a certain thing or eat a certain thing. You need to use your words. So there was a fair amount of tough love involved in that. Um, but it was also, I think, and this is just speculation, um, our kids seeing the way my wife and I communicated with each other. Right, making yeah. sure we made a conscious effort to verbally communicate back and forth in a really positive way, and to have conversations in front of our children that aren't about our children or necessarily for our children, just so they can right. see, oh, that's how two, you know, adults. Adults, you guys were trying to pass the Bechdel test for your children. Yeah, I, I, I was going to go there. I just couldn't remember the name of the test. So if you want yeah, to rename exactly. it something yeah. for like a baby, um, yeah, it's a hundred percent that. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because I know that um, obviously I think that I personally, as someone who grew up with a partially deaf brother, like um, think that it's important to understand sign language, but obviously spoken communication is much easier um, than having to remember all the details of sign language, the intricate detail, intri intricate de details of sign language. There you go. And of course, there's always going to be the idea that kids develop their own languages, their, excuse me, their own language skills at a young age. So you want to plant those seeds. And I don't necessarily think you want to discourage them from pointing at things. And because my daughter does that all the time now, she'll kind of point at things. Um, it's to say there will be times where you need to communicate to me things that you can't verbally. So it's kind of not necessarily dismissing those skills and saying that that's a bad thing but teaching that that's not what's appropriate right now. And I think, again, a lot of people confuse appropriateness with being right or being wrong. It's all contextual. Yeah. It's all contextual. Yeah. I, well, are you guys using sign language for your son? So we will when will he's you? a little bit old enough. Because I know right now he's just playing with doorstops. And, um, Dude loves a good doorstop. Can't blame Dude, him. I, Those things are I fun know. as hell. It's fun as hell, yeah. Grew up with them, love them. Um, I need to install some on my, in my house. Um, no, that's awesome. I think that it's important to, I mean, if you can have multiple forms of communication, um, go for it. And for nothing um, else, it's good for bridging that, that communication gap. So we will for sure put him in um, any school that will teach him just basic, some basic both. commands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you received any advice about being a dad? That you turned out to be just complete bullshit. 
no pun intended, uh, the, the, the stuff about shit and piss. Man, like, I'm so really? sick of hearing parents talk about and sensationalizing their experience with changing a diaper. Again, I, I know you. Like, I know you've you've seen some adversity. Yeah, I've seen I think, some shit. <laughs> I, you've seen some shit. And I think for some people, raising a kid is their first true experience with something difficult. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, not to make it weird, I've seen literal shit before. I've seen literal yeah. piss that's not my own before. And yeah. if you've worked around it or been near it, you know, how I've... hard goes out to anyone in the medical field. Yeah. It kind of it loses its sensation after the hundredth time you've changed a poopy diaper. And it's not, oh my God, they pooped again. It's so crazy. Uh, yeah. No, oh, it... this is the 30th blowout this month. Fuck. Yeah, like... Uh, yep, you you get some wipes, you clean them up, and you move on with your life. It's not that big yeah. of a deal. Yeah, as someone who has three younger siblings, two nephews, and two nieces, um, I've seen my fair share of dirty diapers. Um, so yeah, that's that's good to know. That um, honestly, shit and piss, nothing new. Yeah, it really didn't. It didn't really hit me as hard as I think it it hit some people. But I think they just want to. They want to sensationalize that more than it actually is. They want to be like, oh, my God, I, I got peed on today. Well, congratulations. Work a real yeah, job and you'll find out that's pretty common in a lot of industries. Hey, somebody will pay to have that done. So Exactly. Yeah, you're missing out on some money right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, to quote Mike Rowe, um, it's a dirty job and somebody has to do it. 100%. Yeah. Um, so... When was the first moment that you felt like a dad? Like, you felt like a good dad. Okay. I was going to say, difference between a dad and a good dad. Because I didn't feel yeah. like a dad for a while. A year. Right? About a year. About a year. Yeah, legitimately about a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, felt like a good dad. And this sounds terrible, but um, we're in a community, right? Like, physically. Uh, my my family and I, we live in a, a community of houses and there's some Facebook groups of, you know, moms that are trying to get some FaceTime with other moms. There's not so much for that about dads. And we know this is an issue you're trying to tackle yourself, right? Dads don't really yes. talk to other dads about parenting stuff, which is sad. Yeah. Um, but moms do, and they do a great job of it. But a lot of times it turns into a bitch fest. So uh, that bitch fest can sometimes boil over into just complaining about other dads. And I got to view just a little tiny piece of that from some some uh, experiences my wife shared with her own talking to other moms and just getting that awful, awful validation that I am, by doing the bare minimum, still way above a lot of other dads, was the first time I remember feeling like, you know what, it's not about being the best, sometimes it's just not about being the worst, and walking yeah. away feeling like, I kind of feel like a piece of shit for feeling like that, but it also is validating to know that I'm not the worst. Yeah, no, I think it's important to realize that, like, as this is, I feel like this is, actually, no, I don't want to reward this behavior, but if you're there, you're better than a lot of dads. Like, if you're making a conscious effort to be there for your kids, you're better than some dads. Um, and that's important. Like, even just, like, being there, showing up is one of the best things that you can do for a child. 100 percent it's yeah. something my own parents now try to stress with me is the gift of time right it's yeah. not about bringing the perfect toy or having the perfect thing to watch or even the perfect experience to share it's just simply about being available and having the time to spend um 
And I think that's something that I've, again, tried to make a conscious effort about, which gave me that validation when I'm finding out that there's a lot of dads surrounding me that don't do that. Yeah, which, um, fucking sucks. Dads do better. Like, Uh, 100%. Ourselves included, we can all do better. Uh, Everyone can do better. Um, but this is me calling out all the dads who aren't doing even enough. Fucking do better. And if you have a problem with that, I will fight you. Yeah, you're not getting a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, you're not getting a t-shirt. Uh, and this is not a threat of physical violence, but, um, DM me and I'll give you my, I'll give you my address. Exactly. Um, all right. So, uh, how do you, uh, so after like, say you've had a long day of, uh, I don't know, shitty meetings at work, uh, you've kind of just been like, shit's been stacking up, stacking up, stacking up. How do you decompress as a dad while still being present for your kids? I have a long commute to and from where I work, so having some alone time, even if it's in a driving setting, um, it helps. And I, I always tell people it brings me down to a medium level. On a really good day, it's sometimes it, sometimes good to even come down a little bit from that high. And on a bad day, it's it's good to give yourself time to kind of percolate back up to a nice medium level. So just straight up having a little bit of alone time I think goes a long way because I really try to walk into the door and be the fun parent, right? Yeah. Uh, My wife probably hates it because she's been, (laughs) you know, handling the kids all day while I'm away and I just get to walk in and be the fun parent. But um, I try to, after something we in our relationship addressed with, you know, me walking in complaining about work every day is walking in the door and just being ready to have a, a smile on my face being there yeah. ready to, to give out hugs and kisses and just be an available parent who's not bringing something into the door that I don't need to emotionally, physically, uh, you know, spiritually, whatever that is. So yeah. decompression is sometimes for me just time, right? Just time to myself after something, after something. Um, but I really think of being a parent as my decompression, right? I like spending time with my kids. I see people at my my job who say, you know, like, oh, I I had to spend time with my kids this weekend. I'm like, that sounds like you probably shouldn't have kids because I love that. Like, that's definitely what recharges me up. So um, it's okay if you don't have that relationship with your kids. I don't want to I don't want to shame other dads more than what we already did. But I see that as my decompression of getting to play Legos with my kids and, you know, draw and coloring books and stuff like that kind of getting in and realizing that that's what they're having fun with. So that's what I can have fun with. Right. Uh, how do, uh, branching off of that, how do you balance being a good dad with being a good husband? Cause that, I feel like that is something that a lot of people will struggle with is like, they make the decision to either be one or the other. You hit it on the nail on the head. Like, and that's a decision that they made is to be one or the other. And that's, what do you do with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. oof, that's a really good question. Um, I can't in, in good conscience say that I'm the best husband and the best father, so I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that, but some perspective I would give on that, ooh, we might have to cut some of this for time as I kind of kind of just vamp a little bit. Uh, let's, yeah, go back no, to that. let's go back to that question if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, you're good. Yeah. Um, so let's go with... Um... <laughs> How is your parenting style different than your parents? Yeah, that's... I think a, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, if we want to revisit that more in depth. Absolutely. Both of my parents 
let's put it this way. I am first generation high school graduate in my family. Yeah. Right. Uh, my parents were salt of the earth people. They were blue collar in the sense that they worked retail and restaurant jobs. And I grew up with a pretty good work ethic because of it. Maybe not my own personal work ethic, but let me put it this way. I got a good view of what a strong work ethic looks like. Yeah, Especially your dad's best Perkins manager I've ever met. Hell yeah. My dad can put in a day's work. Um, mm-hmm. So growing up, I got to see what kind of hardworking people look like, um, even if it means overcoming that maybe financial adversity. Never want to put myself in the position where I say I grew up poor. Um, grew up comfortable. Didn't yeah. grow up rich, right? So right. got to see that, and I think that helped put my own parenting style on some pretty sturdy legs because I think my parents were always the type that wanted better for me than they had it. Yeah. Um, I take that same approach to parenting. That is something that I take from them is to say, hey, um, I want my kids to have better than I had growing up. That's definitely something I take from them and I see as a positive. The differences maybe in the negative we talked about a little bit earlier that vulnerability piece, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what I would say is different is the relationship that my parents had, who they divorced when I was in I don't know middle school or something like that. And I don't want to fault them for it, but uh, I didn't see a lot of what a good relationship looked like growing up. Right. And, and that's something that I want to share with my own wife to our kids of opening the book, so to speak, right? Let's open the book on what mom and dad do to make ourselves successful as a couple, right? Let's yeah. show you our family finances. Let's show you what your mom and I do to, um, you know, have adult relationship outside of the relationship that we have with you as our kids is to say, yes. you know, we have a date night and it's not because we don't love you. It's because we're two adults that love each other. And sometimes we need a minute away from you guys. Yeah. Uh, whereas my parents, I think, tried to touch on being a parent and being a uh, a spouse all in one big soup when sometimes you need to dish it out in separate bowls. No, that I think that is the best description I have heard, like the best balance that you can have. Uh, it's important to, like, I, uh, Megan tells me a lot, she's like, I'm, she's very worried about things changing uh, whenever we have a child. And uh, it's a hard point for me to get across that it's like, I love her more than anything in the world. Like, I would go to the ends of the earth for her. Like, I would, I would do anything for that woman. But the love that I have for a child is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may love them, like, the same amount, but it's a different amount of love. It's a different kind of love that I have for that child. Um, but... She is always going to be my main priority. For sure. Like, And I think that that is important. I think a lot of the things are a big issue with, and I don't, like, I think that a big issue with some relationships um, is that when a kid comes along, that kid is now the priority. I'm not saying that the kid is not important, but I'm saying that your partner you're like you chose that person for a reason that kid is a result of that partnership so i want to i love yeah go ahead i want to get in on that because i I think you hit on an important point that i wanted to bring up and that is a lot of people's relationships right are predicated on somebody being the most important and i think there are a lot of relationships out there even successful relationships where at the end of the day that person, the individual, still sees themselves as the most important person in their life. 
They don't see their partner as the most important. Now, like, again, there are people that have found a way to make a relationship work, but both people think individually they're the most important part, not their their spouse, right, or their partner. And then they have a kid, and that all changes. Suddenly they do truly have somebody else in their life that is more important than themselves, and that rocks their relationship because they've never experienced that before. And if you are not used to a relationship where you put your partner first, you should be terrified of having a kid. If you yes. are in a relationship where you truly put your partner first, you've got nothing to worry about. You've already right, got experience exactly. with it. Right. You can already put somebody else before yourself, which I think we live in uh, – we have the benefit of living in uh, America, whether you believe that or not. People believe that or not. Um, no, it's not always the best all the time, but this is not a political podcast. Um, we live in a country we where we have the benefit of – it's a very selfish society we live in. Um, and I think that if certain people don't – like you said, if they don't have the experience of putting someone else first, it's a scary thought to have a child. Right. Um, I think that's something that I experienced a little bit as a child. I think that's something that like a lot of people have experienced. But – the most important person in my life has always been someone else. It's always been my wife or a friend or a family member. But like, as of right now, my wife is, and for the foreseeable future, at least for the first year of my child's birth, uh, according to Brad is, uh, going to be the most important person in my life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, no, I see that a lot with, um, you and Christine. Um, is that like, you, I I wouldn't. You guys have both given so much to your relationship as a couple, mm-hmm. and it is something to admire. You guys are one of the couples that I like look at. I'm like, oh wow, these are they've made it work. Yeah. Um, obviously nobody's perfect. Everyone has had their problems, but I'm like, I look at you guys and I'm like, oh wow, they have made it work. They have like two kids that they love more than anything on this earth. Um, aside from each other, like. You guys put in the work to make your relationship work. Right. I think it is very much something that we admired. I appreciate that. I I don't want to come across as ever saying that we'd never have our our struggles and and tribulations and stuff like that. But that's exactly what you pointed at is you put in the work through those things. It's not dismissing them. It's working through them. Uh, And you guys are doing the exact same thing. You're communicating with each other. You're figuring out how to make it work. And there's room in your heart for both a, a partner and kids. Like it's not mutually exclusive. You mentioned it earlier. It's a different kind of relationship that you have. The overall goal yeah. is the same as to put someone else first, but it's a different kind of relationship that you have with your kids and then you do with your partner. Yeah. Um, so branching off of this question, uh, are there moments when you see your parents in your own parenting style? I can give you a great example of this. Um, just the other day we had to take our, our daughter in to get a flu shot. And no little kid ever likes to get shots, but I remember the exact... I'm 31 years old, and I still hate getting shots. 100%. I remember the conversation my family having, specifically my mom, but it was my both my parents, of saying, listen, I'm going to give you realistic expectations. In the car ride over to the doctor's office, they told me, we're going to go to the doctor. I expect you to be well-behaved, right? I expect you to say please and thank you. You're going to get a shot in your arm. It's going to hurt. You're, cry- you're going to cry for a few minutes, then you're going to get over it, and if you're good, we'll go for ice cream, right? 
yeah. the expectations. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is what's going to happen realistically. This will be the resolution, right? If you're going to cry and be a jerk, we're not going to get ice cream. Um, yeah. I made the same deal with my daughter. Hey, on the way over here, we're going to the doctor. We're not going to Disneyland. We're going to the doctor's office. You know, they're going to do these things. You're going to get a shot. It's going to hurt. You're probably going to cry. And when you're done crying, we'll go for ice cream if you're good. Um, so that was the exact moment I saw, saw myself and my parents of just saying something I admired was them setting realistic expectations, explaining to me what was going to happen, and then following through with whatever decision they made. Absolutely. I think that is absolutely one of the most important things that you can do with kids mm-hmm. is set realistic expectations. Yeah. Um, yes, you tell your kid that, oh, you can be whatever you want, but like, realistically, your daughter's not going to grow up and be a princess, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Can she be a doctor? Yeah, probably. It's going to be a lot of hard work. It's going to be a lot of hard work. But, like, setting those expectations is one of the best things that you can do while raising a kid. Uh, And that's me saying that as someone who's not yet had the experience of raising a kid. Right. No, you're you're totally right. Your instincts are there. I I think you're right on the money. Um, So, uh, since this is a dad podcast, uh, what is your favorite story about your dad you want a wholesome story or a not wholesome story whatever you got whatever's your favorite story so like i said earlier on this specifically based on a relationship you have the you have the benefit of knowing my dad my dad's kind of a loose cannon uh i think it's funny if you know me and you know my dad you know how different we are as people Mm. Uh, my dad grew up in a really awful environment really terrible place in every sense of that definition, right? Was there, it was yeah. making ends meet, the family dynamic. Uh, he got out of it and he wanted better for his, his kids. So he passed that along on of, of saying, hey, my kids are not going to grow up like I grew up. Cool, Dad. I appreciate it. Um, that being said, my the fight never got out of my dad in some respects. Uh, kind yeah. of a mall ninja. Dude likes guns and knives. Um, yeah, so does. there was one time he happened upon a crossbow. I'm going to assume he traded someone for it. He probably traded a pistol for it or, you know, stole it or something. I don't know. Uh, but he wound up having a crossbow in his car. And while he worked in a mall, uh, there was a group of assailants, we'll call them, that were uh, harassing him. So he decided to literally pull out a crossbow <laughs> on a number of guys. May have hit one of them with a bolt. The story gets kind of fuzzy, right? He changed the names to protect the innocent. Uh, yeah. So there's a great story of my dad fighting a, a group of what I'm assuming are they could have been teenagers with a crossbow in the parking lot of probably a mall. Probably teenagers, yeah. Rock on, dad. You know you do that for us. Yeah, way to go, dad, man. Love that. Love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, she's obviously not here, but do you have a favorite story about um, Christine's dad? Christine's dad. Um, we might have to come back to that one. I need to think about that one for a second. Yeah. No. Um. I think we were going to revisit another question. Um, oh, uh, what's one piece of advice that you uh, wish you would have known sooner as a vet? I think I might have written down an answer for that one. Look at my notes now. Oh, look at you. Coming prepared. Oh, okay. Future guest, listen to that. That's a great question. Uh, something I wish I had known sooner. So one of the things that uh, Christine and I, right, my wife and I, found immediate success with was building a very rigid routine for our kids. And I know your mileage may vary on that. Every kid is going to be different. Every kid is going to have different things that works well for them. But what worked well for us and what I always 
kind of recommend is setting a very rigid routine, right? You go to bed at this time, regardless of if you're tired, because that's the time you go to bed, which means that you wake up at this time, right? You eat at this time. It's something that kids can rely on, right? I think that kids thrive on routine, I think, uh, because that's what I've found success with. So one thing I wish I had known sooner was you adhere to the routine, not the child, right? Right, so the routine doesn't change. Right. The child changes to the routine. A hundred percent. I in our house, above all, it's the routine. We we yeah. praise the routine every morning, um, because the routine is so many different things. It's what time we go to school. It's what we do when we get home from school. It's the snacks that we have. It's incorporating in you know soccer on Saturdays or music class on Sunday. Um, it's so we can again set those realistic expectations. To say hey. What are we doing on Friday? I can tell you based on the calendar, we're doing these things, and this is what I expect from you. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't have fun with it. Doesn't mean every now and then you can't say, "Screw it, we're not going to music class this Sunday. We're going to go get ice cream instead." But right. You don't prep the kid for that. You stick to the routine. You don't stick to what the kid wants. That's. I've in all of the obviously you're the first um, episode of this podcast, but. Mm-hmm. In all the dads that I've talked to thus far, that's the only, like, time that routine has been brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard a lot of, oh, yeah, just make sure that you're there, um, spending time with the kid is important. Um, but, like, no, adhering to a routine, this is the first time that I've heard of it, and it is, it seems like the most basic of ideas that could easily be forgotten. Yeah. Um. Because my wife, like I said earlier, school teacher um, for high school students, she's in bed. Like, she's upstairs in bed right now. It's 10 o'clock. But she went to bed an hour and a half ago. 8.30 every night, that woman is in bed. Uh, Me, being the night owl that I am, will play God of War tonight until probably 4 a.m. Hell yeah. Um, Because I I like to make mistakes with my life. Um, But no, routine seems like... Man, that is, that's amazing. That's the first time I've ever heard that, and that may be the greatest piece of advice I've ever heard. It it can work for you on so many levels because as you have a routine, it lets you forecast, right? And as a parent, you got to know the difference between planning and scheduling, right? Right. Scheduling is what you put on the calendar. Planning is the act of figuring out when it's going to happen. So when you have a good, solid routine, right, it means you can change things. Yeah. And it seems counterintuitive, but once you've established what you're allowed to do, you can then establish what you're not allowed to do or make changes on the fly without blowing up the whole system. Um, you know, we've had grandparents come and visit, and the grandparents get briefed before they walk through the door. Listen, I understand your grandpa or your grandma. That doesn't mean you get to skip bedtime. Like, Yeah, that doesn't matter. Music class is still on Sunday. Right, Like, and you can either come to it, which we'd love to have you. We can build you into yeah. our routine, or you can stay at home because that's when we yeah. go to music class. Um, and Rusty, I think, we know you love saxophone, but... I'm happy to pencil you in some time to play, uh, yeah. but you're not interrupting, you know, nap time because you want to stay up and play saxophone. Nap time is nap time. Um, yeah. And I think that helps set realistic expectations for the people around your kids and kind of insulate them um, mm-hmm. from people that want to mess that stuff up. But then it also means when you got to bring in a babysitter and you can hand them off and say, this is the time they go to sleep, that keeps the kid's life a little bit more normal when they're like, unfamiliar face but we're doing familiar things, right? Um, we're that. doing the things that I'm used to, even if I'm not used to the person we're doing it with. I love that. I love that. Um, 
we can uh so i asked you earlier if there was a piece uh there was a story that you like a favorite story you had of um christine's dad and my personal favorite story about christine's dad is that he technically has a bacon number right um because he was in stripes i believe right correct yep yeah he was in the uh bill murray movie stripes um as one of the people in the marching band playing saxophone right that's right he's a saxophone player that's right yes um fun fact megan also a saxophone player excellent yeah woodwinds yeah. i get it uh also i thought that um saxophone was a brass instrument until uh, my wife has vehemently told me several times no it's a woodwind yeah you gotta marry uh you gotta marry a, a band nerd they're the best uh, as someone who played trumpet in elementary school band. Yep. <clears throat> trumpet all the way. Best instrument. For sure. Brass for life. Yeah. Brass. Um, I think that about wraps it up. I don't remember what question we were going to revisit earlier. Um, uh, oh, so are there any anecdotes uh, you would like to share about being a father and or a husband? Uh, if those overlap, great. If not, doesn't matter anecdotes about being a father or a or husband a husband both are important um, <clears throat> and finding a balance between both is very important both is important let me think on this and one. if and if you're not a husband being a boyfriend fiance yeah. significant other non-binary individual whatever yeah i was um, gonna say please understand when i say words like dad and mom and spouse and i, I really mean whatever your specific relationship dictates there's no wrong way to be a parent yeah whatever your specific pronoun is we love it and we accept it in the same way that being fed is best um you know Mm -hmm. being in a a healthy relationship is what's best being alive and in a healthy relationship if you're not in a healthy relationship do you man i wish i had a good anecdote for you but i don't nothing comes off the top of my head just because it's all little stuff and i don't want to be the guy that lists out funny things that my kids have said because never ends up being as funny yeah, it never ends up being as funny as you want it to be. Uh, much like the inside jokes between you and your wife are funny to you, but not to anyone else. Hundred um, percent. So, um, what is so? So, I, I guess to just wrap, semi wrap things up. Um, let's see. Move this. And that's it for the first episode of High Podcasting. I'm Dad. Uh, we uh, thank you for follow or listening. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at official dadcast. And be sure to follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Brad is going to send us off with a dad joke right now. I love this. Uh, when you asked me to prepare a dad joke, I was over the moon because. I'm going to steal one from my own dad and make this a multi-generational joke and ask um, if you know why they call it a latte. No. Because it costs a latte. (laughs) Got him. Good God.